0: the Tiger Protocol to Reverse Disease. That's what you get when you integrate integrative medicine, conventional medicine, and Ayurveda, as today's show guest has done in his research and practice. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 331. And my guest, Dr. Akhil Palanasami, is a, an American doctor who studied at Harvard, uh, magna cum laude no less. Uh, and he earned his MD from the University of California San Francisco and uh then did a fellowship in integrative medicine with the amazing Dr. Andrew Vile at the University of Arizona. Uh he is the department chair for integrative medicine at the Sutter Health Institute for Health and Healing and serves as the Physician Director for Community Education and leads their educational initiatives and programs. He's been a consultant with the Medical Board of California for many years, and he has developed uh, the TIGER Protocol. And what I find really interesting, uh, emerging with all of my wonderful doctor guests over the years, is so many of them have been... have been basically forced to think outside the box of their conventional training by a personal health challenge. And what I love about... That unfortunate situation for all of these incredible individuals, uh, because I see it in my own work as well, is that through that challenge comes an incredible empathy for people, a desire for other humans to just not feel how you've felt, uh, especially if you have tools to help make it better. And Akhil certainly does. He's written a book called The Tiger Protocol, which is are uh, very, very good at distilling the complex information that he knows and deals with every day in research uh, and discussions with colleagues and uh, turning it into something that you and I, everyday people can understand, take on, and not just use as inf- information. <laughs> that was a bit of a faux par. I was about to say inflammation, uh, but also use it for transformation. So if Burning fat, or increasing energy, or both of those things, uh, reversing disease—if any of that is interesting you, then interesting to you, then today's show is absolutely one you want to continue uh, listening to. Because uh, what he does in his clinical research studies uh, and with his patients is help people do just that. And the book is a vehicle for him to be able to share that with people around the world. Of course, can't see everybody in your practice. Uh, and, um, possibly my favorite thing about the man is that he likes playing tennis too. Anyone who's a long time listener or follower of the low tox life knows that I am an absolute fiend for that sport, uh, and recovering from my broken foot. Very nicely, and uh, getting back onto the court real soon. So, uh, to that end, I'd actually like to talk about our wonderful two sponsors this week uh, because my broken foot has something to do with the first one I'm going to mention, Block Blue Light. So, Block Blue Light, um, you might think, well, what on earth does that have to do with your broken foot? Fair enough, but I will, I promise, help you find the link uh, very, very shortly. Um, But they started as a business who helps us uh, address the proliferation of uh, blue light in inappropriate times of day as it pertains to our circadian rhythms. Now, what on earth does that mean? Basically, the way we live now with the lights we're using in our homes in the evenings, with the screens, we are looking at, uh, I see you as you watch TV and look at your phone at the same time. Hello. Uh, Shout out to you guys. Basically, all of this is interrupting our natural body processes. And while it would be the perfect world to go and live in the middle of nowhere in a yurt, Uh, It's not entirely plausible for most of us and uh, a lot of people don't want to and that's okay. There are mitigations we can put in place. Blocking blue light is, of course, one of them and that's everything from using special light bulbs, to using a blue light free reading light uh, uh, or especially a bedside light while you're in your bedroom towards the very end of your day. Um, uh, Blue light blocking night lights uh, when you have little kids or elderly people who are going to the bathroom in the middle of the night uh, or people who've had lots of kids. (laughs) Um, Shout out to the ladies Uh, or maybe it's for a a blue light blocking sleep mask that you need because you live in an urban area and no matter what you do, light is getting through. So there are a lot of reasons why you need those blue light blocking uh, tools, which Block Blue Light has uh, in abundance. Uh, But I wanted to talk about their infrared, um, their near-infrared light panels because I've been, when I broke my foot, which by the way is a non-displaced uh, fracture that when I did the MRI two weeks into the incident happening, it was already showing as partially healed. Now I credit that, as, as does my doctor, with the fact that I'm a tennis player in part because my muscles of my foot are so strong from all of that multidirectional movement that I do several times a week, uh, the balance training I do to be better on court, the coordination exercises, et cetera, um, and of course, uh, lots of collagen, adequate amounts of protein, 30 grams a, a meal, three times a day is what I personally aim for. Chat to your health professional if you want to look into that or have a look at the compelling research online that supports that, um, Uh, you know, so there were a lot of things that made it not quite as bad as it could have been. But of course, I jump online, chat to people, uh, doctor colleagues, and see what I can do to accelerate healing uh, and uh, stimulate uh, blood circulation, because around the fifth metatarsal, there's not a huge amount of blood flow, which can be one of the reasons why it actually takes a while to heal. But... Lo and behold, the research on near-infrared panel therapy uh, as it pertains to anything, everything from bone density increases, osteoporosis, bone healing, fracture healing, tissue repair, collagen stimulation, uh, wow, um, amazing. Now the research that I have looked at shows that 810 NM is is what you really want to be going for. That means nanometers, by the way, that little NM. Uh, 810 or above is what you really want to be going for. 810 is the sweet spot that most of the research has been done in. So when you look at the block blue light range to get those bone density increases, to get that uh, healing uh, and repair aspect for our musculoskeletal system, even though lower uh, nanometers are great for collagen stimulation, ATP and mitochondrial stimulation as well, which are the smaller units in the range. Um, Well, mind you, actually all of the units have an 850 setting, uh, so, um, but the one I'm using is the tabletop, which is relatively new in their range. Uh, and because it's my foot, I can just stick my foot on the table and put, put it in front of the tabletop panel. I don't need to try and hang it or, um, suspend it or lean it against something to make sure it stays upright. And I really like that about the tabletop option. So, uh, it's a fantastic portable option. Um, really easy to move around your house to wherever you want to put it. Um, if you've already got one of their panels, they actually have a power panel portable stand. If that's part of having a panel, um kind of having to lean it against things um frustrates you. That was a, a selling point for me to get the tabletop. Anyway. The long and short of it is, is near-infrared light therapy is hugely beneficial. There are a multitude of studies, both animal and human, that are showing really, really positive results across a number of uh, uses. As I said, anything from collagen, uh, ATP production, mitochondrial stimulation, tissue stimulation and repair, uh, blood flow uh, and uh, bone repair, bone density increases, treatment potential for osteoporosis uh, is looking really, really good as well. So... If any of these things concern you, you might want to make the most of the 15% off that we have this month because 15% off a bigger ticket item like a near-infrared panel uh, is a really good chunk of cash off the price. So you have 15% off all uh, of the month of May and your code is LOTOXLIFE15. Uh, You, of course, have another few days of the giveaway if you're listening to this We, of course, also have the wonderful major sponsor this year, Oz Climate, Uh, and what an awesome thing it was to go to a friend's house who I haven't seen in years uh, and see that she had a brilliant uh, Winix Air Purifier just right there in her entrance. She had got a dog last year, so she got the five-stage with the pet filter. Uh, in their range and uh, and she is loving it. And it wasn't even because I had promoted it on the show, she had done her research and looked for it independently online, uh, which for me was even more of a testament to how fantastic these units are. So Aus Climate has the Winix air purifier range and they also have the wonderful dehumidifiers. And for the month of May the uh, specials on their multi-buy uh, special that they're doing are ridiculous. So let me step you through it. For example, with the five stage air purifier that I saw at my mate's house. So if you normally were to buy one of these from their website, $785. That's quite expensive but it's a very good unit and it lasts a really long time and it has an average customer review rating of 4.8 based on 106 reviews from the independent review site, productreview.com.au. So really good kudos behind this machine, right? So you're thinking, yeah, $7.85 with our Lotox Life 10% discount makes it just around 700 not too bad. But at the moment, for the month of May, you have two of those, two, for 830. And they're giving our community our discount still on top of that. So we get to use the low tox life code for a further 10% off their multi-buys. So it's it's basically a two-for-one situation once you add our 10% discount. So if you need an air purifier, if you've been holding out because they're expensive, same with dehumidifiers, you've wanted to get a really big one um, and that's just been out of reach for a while, especially if you have an open plan living, dining, kitchen, as is the trend these days and you need either the 50-litre dehumidifier or the five-stage uh, uh, Winix Zero and Pro 5. Uh, units then now is the time to get them maybe call a friend say hey who wants to get one of these uh you know put it out on facebook because the multi-buy option is so fantastic i'm sorry this one's just for the australians uh the good news is maybe for new zealanders soon but right now just for the aussies so please get amongst it Ozclimate.com.au. Mum and I are already going in on a couple of extra dehumidifiers as she needs one for their upstairs bedroom that's getting a lot of condensation and I'd like an extra one uh, for my son's bedroom. And so now is the time to go in with family, go in with friends or just make the most of it for your own house if you have a larger floor plan and you've not got any of these. Okay, I've done tons of rambling. Obviously, these are excellent units also for uh, promotion of health and prevention of disease, especially when it comes to environmental toxins like mould, when it comes to allergies like dust mite. Uh, and uh, and so kind of leads me right back into this incredible chat with uh, Dr. Akhil Palanasami and his Tiger Protocol. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, and I do encourage you to read the book. I really found it fantastic, Uh, very useful, very practical, very simple to follow. Uh, Enjoy. Dr. Akhil, hello. How are you? Oh, doing well. Thank you for having me on the show, Alex. I'm uh, thrilled to have you on the show. You have amassed an incredible body of clinical work, research, practice. You've seen and done so much as a doctor, and uh, I'm looking forward to unpacking some of that, which you've amazingly and neatly packaged in your book, The TIGER Protocol. Um, And let's just jump right in and say, what does TIGER mean?
1: Yes, so TIGER is an acronym and it stands for these five root causes of immune dysfunction because what we're seeing is the immune systems are dysregulated now in so many people. Um, So the five causes are T for toxins, which we can talk in detail, uh, I for infections, which could be a range, a plethora of different types of microbes. G is gut health, because the gut is the foundation for health in the rest of the body. Um, e is eating right, so the role of food, um, having the right healing foods in the diet to, to help you feel better. And then the R refers to rest, which encompasses sleep, and then also having a mind-body practice to relieve stress so those were the five components of the tiger
0: protocol and uh, so neatly packaged makes it sound so simple but in the modern world we seem to find it incredibly hard Uh, and uh, we've been talking about it recently on the show unpacking it from different angles uh, seeing different types of support that can help people herbal medicine uh, other interventions Um, But sleep just keeps coming back as this super, super important thing. Uh, And while we might need to intervene to get us there, can you talk us through some of the nerdy reasons why we can't ignore it? It's impossible to ignore how powerful sleep is.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of research now about um, how sleep affects every organ system, you know, like even one night of um, sleep deprivation uh, causes a degree of insulin resistance causes your metabolism to be disrupted. So just from a single night. um, And uh, so we know it impacts all of your hormones, um, impacts your metabolism and weight, uh, of course, impacts, you know, energy levels. But then when it comes to the immune system, we know it regulates inflammation, because uh, sleep is when your body heals and uh, calms inflammation and also detoxifies. So if you're not able to get, um, you know, adequate sleep, then those functions are impaired.
0: And it speaks to just how important it is to live in a home free from toxins. Correct, because if we are sleeping in a toxic home, whether that's air fresheners and fabric softeners, or if it's mold, uh, or very close to uh, EMF, uh, like high levels of radiation. Um, then we're not really setting ourselves up to be able to uh, have that anti-inflammatory detoxification benefit from sleep.
1: Exactly. Yeah. No, that's critically important.
0: Mm. And what got you interested as a doctor specifically in uh, autoimmune? Was it just starting to think, my gosh, every day all of a sudden I'm having to talk about and discover um, autoimmune disease in people?
1: Yeah, actually, my interest in um, holistic uh, medicine came from my own personal illness experience, which uh... Um was about 20 years ago when I was in medical school, I developed this mystery illness, which was um, associated with fatigue and then severe pain and weight loss, and I could not sit upright or, you know, use a computer, and then I, I had to uh, stop my medical training because I, I was really not feeling well and unable to attend school, um, and uh, I was doing all the conventional treatments, you know, physical therapy and uh, Um, medications and, you know, so forth, but I wasn't really improving. So during that year is when I sought out uh, more holistic modalities like integrative medicine and looking at the role of diet. Um, And I learned about Ayurveda, which is a traditional medicine from India. And that was the beginning of the turnaround for me. And that's when I realized, you know, I really want to get trained in integrative medicine and bring that to my future patients.
0: Awesome. And uh, I'd say we are probably in the show up to about the 50th doctor now over the last eight years, whose story of needing and wanting to move into an integrative approach came from medical school. So if that doesn't speak to how much they put you guys through it at that point in your life, Uh, then I don't know what does because it is such a powerful moment for so many young doctors training where you go, oh, I don't have any tools out of everything I've been learning for eight years to actually fix what's going on here.
1: Yes, um, absolutely, yeah. I think that speaks volumes to that.
0: Mm, It really does. And what do we know about Uh, autoimmune conditions being on the rise now what are you seeing uh, in the research that's alarming
1: Yes. Um. So, you know, we've seen with a, a number of autoimmune diseases that some of the rates have increased by 300% or even 500% just in the past um, 20 to 30 years. And uh, we know that our genes take millions of years to change. So it's not like suddenly, you know, genetic changes are, are causing this. Um, and, um, you know, I, that's why I I believe environmental factors and kind of this perfect storm of factors that disrupt immune health are um, affecting us and I think that's why we have such a rise in
0: autoimmune conditions. Mm. And from a um, medical training perspective, are we seeing any change at all in terms of what is taught in med school around environmental toxic factors? Because Uh, it, It just feels like there's so many people who go through the regular channels and no one's asking, how's your home? No one's asking, are you using artificial fragrances a lot around the home or have you seen or smelt mold? Did you have a leak recently? Like these aren't questions that are used in the diagnostic process yet. Are we anywhere near close to them being so, do you think? Um, I think there
1: are some glimmers of hope in terms of um, education in in medical training, improving. Um, I know that now, you know, there's a fellowship program in integrative medicine, which I completed, that's available to all uh, healthcare providers. And in that, they talk at length about the role of toxins and the home and, and the environment. So it's a bit more for people who want to take extra training right now. Um, I think in, in medical school, they're trying to add uh, some more nutrition training, which I think is, is very important as well. And, uh, um, you know, there's just so many topics to cover that it's hard to squeeze in a lot, but I'm hoping one day it's going to be included as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, we, we really have to move away from this situation where, you know, someone just messaged me the other day and said my um, endocrinologist just said, oh, your food doesn't have anything to do with your thyroid results. Don't worry about that. And you just think, well, but it, there is just so much scientific literature. So the scientists are seeing it in what they're working on, but we're just not moving it through to curriculum and practice fast Enough, which I think is obviously why it's given rise to so many integrative um, uh, doctors expanding their their knowledge. Um, so, in terms of someone finding out they have an autoimmune disease, because it it feels like we also don't really test for it um, very soon in a picture, and you have to get really sick before someone goes, ah, ANA and ENA markers. Let's have a look at those. Um, what do those tell us in our bloods um, when should we be concerned, uh, and um, what do we then? What are some of the first steps that we could do with that information?
1: Oh, okay, yeah, great question. Um, so I think part of it is that uh, um, we, as consumers of healthcare, have to push for those tests from our doctors. Sometimes, um, you know. Just uh, request them if you're, especially if you're having any symptoms uh, such as fatigue or um, brain fog or joint pain or uh, brain symptoms. Um, I think that can be a good starting point that those kind of um, blood tests. And the, the good thing is we know that uh, these same five uh, drivers of autoimmunity that help, if you address them, they help to treat autoimmunity. They can also be used to prevent autoimmunity. So if you just have a positive blood test, but you're not diagnosed with a full autoimmune disease, you can still benefit and prevent the progression to autoimmunity by following this protocol. And that's what I've seen with many of my patients. We've been able to stave off some autoimmune diseases uh, through this approach
0: hmm. And that's like when you get that really low reading, like a speckled 80 kind of thing. And so there's nothing actually presenting, but um, there's like a tiny little hint. Exactly. Yeah. Mm, got um, it. But the
1: earlier you can start implementing changes, the easier it is to fix things that are out of balance. So,
0: mm. yeah. 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 And so what is the mechanism of toxins in the home affecting our immunity? Um. Yeah.
1: So I think um, <clears throat> with the role of toxins, um, there's multiple ways they can disrupt the immune system. Um, they can be antigens, meaning uh, foreign proteins that your your body is not familiar with, and therefore it makes those trigger antibodies, which are your immune system makes uh, proteins that attack them because it's a foreign compound. Um. And um, that can contribute to allergies, um, allergic rhinitis and asthma, so those types of things. And then with autoimmune disease, um, the, the same toxins increase oxidative stress, so they, they create free radicals, which, which damage cells. Um, and then interesting thing with mercury is that it can actually combine with your human cells to make these uh, what are called chimeric cells, which are Half human and half uh, heavy metal, and then you know very foreign to your immune system. So uh, of course it's going to react against that. Um, and um, you know there's a very interesting research now about the how these effects of toxins affect immunity over multiple generations. Um, so. It's not just affecting your own body, but uh, this is still in you know animal studies, but very compelling that uh, um, exposure to toxins during uh, adulthood or pregnancy um, then subsequently affects immune responses in the children, the great grandchildren and the great and the grandchildren. Um, so like three generations were affected by having abnormal immune function and immune cells as a result of the toxin exposure to their mother originally.
0: Yeah, and this is where um, we have to gently explain to older family members who say, oh, in my day we ate all of that and we didn't even think about any of this and I don't know why you're carrying on about mold. We used to just clean it away, and but we are dealing with a very different immune system being the children of the DDT Uh, You know, grandparents, um, dead exposed grandparents, uh, for example, as one toxin or or war chemicals in the men who were out fighting and breathing in gunpowder. You know, I mean, the laundry list is long from the early 20th century and and therefore it makes perfect sense why added to that the proliferation of processed food, uh, the proliferation of badly built buildings that we are spending more and more time in. Uh, and then all the personal care products with all the synthetic fragrances. I mean, it's just made for a soup that's essentially exploding on us now, health-wise. Yes, absolutely. Mm. And so let's talk infections because this is interesting from the perspective of it often being a timeline moment for people where things go south afterwards. And I'd love to ask you... um, like you know when someone says oh that viral infection whatever it was knocked me out for a week or I had tonsillitis and it just it took me ages to get over how do we know we're really over it like how can we actually get over an infection um successfully so that it doesn't sort of stick around and um and stuff us around
1: yeah I think the most important strategy that that I try to teach people about is to make your body inhospitable to infections. Um, And uh, um, that includes um, all types of microbes like bacterial, viral, fungal, parasites, um, and, and so forth. Because I think in Western medicine, you know, we've had a bit too much focus on the germ and then finding the right antibiotic or the right drug to kill that germ and, and not as much attention is paid to the was called the terrain of the body, which is like the internal environment, Um, you know, things like the pH and the the gut microbiome and and things which actually um, play a really big role in infections. So just to give you one example, we found that um, in in my research that stool pH is actually a very good um, um, indicator of uh, the risk of infections. So um, the normal intestine is supposed to be acidic, and that uh, pro- that limits the overgrowth of uh, bacteria, candida, parasites, and so forth. So, when you if you start getting you know suboptimal with your pH, that's when a lot of these uh, pathogens can take hold. So, steps like that can can help with uh, improving your terrain, so your body becomes inhospitable to infections.
0: So. Stool pH, can we get one of those pH strips, do a poop in a container, and literally stick it on there and see, like, or do we have oh. to send it into um, a lab? You know, I think it's more
1: accurate to bring it into a lab, but the good news is, um, any conventional laboratory, um, throughout the world should be able to do this test. It's not a, um, you know, rare or, uh, integrated medicine test. This is a very standard test.
0: Yeah. Okay. Good to know. And, and so is there like a window of pH appropriateness for stool? acidity? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, so I think the window is uh, for stool pH and therefore intestinal pH is between 5.0 to 6.5. And interestingly, um, all my patients who I test, you know, the lab normal range is 7.0 to 7.5 because uh, laboratory normal ranges are based on the population and everyone has a, you know, ph that's too high so um i do see some patients in that you know 6.5 and lower but most of them are in the sevens or the eights even and uh, um and but that's considered normal because we've come so far from what's optimal you know many of these normal values and are, are a result of people who are unhealthy throughout the population so
0: yeah that's it and and then um and then so we want acidic poop we want alkaline pee?
1: Um, I don't think it's as important in terms of the the pH of the of the urine. Um, the in terms of the immune system, anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, very good to know. And we can just ask our regular GP when we do a, a standard parasite test, for example, to also test for pH.
1: Exactly, it's a widely available um, stool pH test.
0: Well, that's something we can all do. Um, And not that it's fun to collect your poop, everyone, but like, just do it because (laughs) it turns out it makes a difference. And so when we get that result and we go, oh, my gosh, it's like seven, eight, nine. um, What do we do?
1: Yeah. So there's a few things. Um, one is that, um, we know prebiotic foods, um, are the, the key there because then they feed your microbiome and then it produces these acids called short chain fatty acids mm-hmm. that bring down the pH. Um, and, uh, so always start with, the um, prebiotic foods and, um, mm-hmm. So in my book, I break it down into all the different categories of uh, prebiotic foods, like polyphenols, uh, resistant starch, inulin, um, arabinoxylans, and so forth. And then for each um, prebiotic food category, I give like dozens of examples, so people can choose what uh, they can, what they like, and what what they can tolerate. Because um, you don't have to eat all of these, but at least knowing what are the most powerful foods for that um, microbiome it, that's the key to optimizing the ph as
0: well mm-hmm. and sometimes people recovering say from mold illness and toxicity can really struggle with those prebiotic foods or resistant starch it can like i remember thinking oh i've got to have more prebiotics and i had full-blown serves but it was like implanting a brick in my stomach to have those foods can you talk a Bit about the progressional steps if someone's been really unwell into being able to move into prebiotics in the first place.
1: Yes. So in those um, sensitive patients, I always recommend starting with the polyphenol-rich foods because those are usually better tolerated, um, and um, it includes uh, some surprising foods too. So, for example, um, chestnuts are one of the highest source of uh, polyphenol.
0: Chestnuts. A season for us, yeah, exactly it's, uh,
1: yeah, it's uh, um very rich in um in polyphenols. And then um elderberry is actually the highest fruit, even higher than blueberry. um but you know, all the berries are of uh, good options. And then when it comes to vegetables, um actually uh, capers and green olives and black olives are extremely high in polyphenols. So these are all foods which are usually tolerated. So I think starting with those, and then with any prebiotic food, you know, start with a small
0: quantity and build up very gradually. Mm -hmm. So don't eat the whole thing of olives. Right, right. (laughs) This is so moorish. Uh, Okay, fantastic. Great information. And, and so, Other things to help us really kick a viral infection then, because invariably, I mean, you know, it's quite hard to have come through the last three years, for example, without having experienced COVID. Uh, And I don't really want to go into long COVID uh, per se. We have a couple of fantastic shows on that, if anyone's listening now, um, that really unpack it in the detail it deserves. But Infections in general, um, and, you know, often we we think about like EBV, um, lying dormant or reactivating. Is there anything we can do to avoid reactivations um, beyond um, knowing what our stool's doing and, and correcting for that?
1: Oh, um, yes, absolutely. So I think... Um... You know, reactivation generally happens when um, there's some weakness in the immune system. And, um, you know, all of these factors can weaken the immune system. So, toxins can do it, stress can do it, the wrong kinds of foods um, can do it. So, I think like giving attention to all these five areas will help to reduce that risk of reactivation.
0: Okay, fantastic. So, really is about that holistic approach and hitting the tiger points, essentially yeah um so in terms of then knowing if we have hidden infections uh because often we can be wandering around and we don't even know uh what should we be testing for what kind of panels could we be asking our doctors for because then once you know you know what you need to do oh
1: yeah absolutely um so i think uh Testing for viruses, um, you know, like um, standard testing is available for Epstein-Barr virus, um, for cytomegalovirus or CMV. Those are a couple of ones to look for. Um, And then uh, testing for bacteria is um, often harder, but if you test the stool pH, that gives you kind of a metric to to judge the the bacteria. And then testing for fungal organisms, like Candida is um, tricky, but there are kind of specialized stool tests which can detect it. Uh, and the same for parasites as well through stool testing.
0: Okay, fantastic. And and then let's talk about the TIGER protocol because this is something you, you've obviously written the entire book to, to step people through it. Um and you talk about your two-phase elimination and reintroduction diet that addresses toxins, heals infections, like it's, it's really quite multifactorial in terms of what it helps you achieve. And we often think of elimination diets as, okay, I've got to get rid of all the allergens so that I can, you know, see if I'm sensitive to things. Is it about that or is it something else that you're getting people to do here?
1: Um, Yeah, there's two components uh, to it. So the phase one diet is more of that elimination diet that you just mentioned. Um, And then the phase two diet is uh, when you do all the reintroductions and then try to expand your diet, increase the diversity of the foods you're consuming, especially the plant foods. Um, and then what I see sometimes with my patients is that they start with that phase one diet or another elimination diet, and then they just stay there, you know, for sometimes years, whereas it's it's really not intended to be a long-term diet. I think the, the elimination is necessary. So avoiding, you know, sugar and alcohol and, you know, possibly gluten or other things you're sensitive to, and then um, adding in a lot of healing foods like the bone broth, like these prebiotic foods that you can tolerate, um, fermented foods if you if you can. Um, and then I think that reintroduction should be very systematic. So um, I walk people through like an eight-week uh, protocol in the book of how to reintroduce the foods, what's the best order to do the reintroductions, um, and then after that, I think the the phase two diet is more of the long term diet, which is where you are slowly uh, increasing the number of different foods, um, because we know our ancestors evolved eating, you know, up to a hundred different plant foods in a week, and uh, the average person I think today eats less than ten. Um, so, just getting a little bit higher, maybe to that thirty to forty different plant foods in a week, is is still going to be very helpful.
0: Mm. And In terms of reintroducing or, you know, I'm so glad you brought up people who end up on a super narrow, okay, this is how my body feels okay. Um, You know, uh, for example, like having to not eat any cruciferous veggies because you get a ton of gas or like how do you unpack? Because it can be so complex, right? I mean, it can be a molybdenum deficiency, for example. Now that is left field the average person to arrive at um, and it can be so tough to know is it a salicylate thing because of a genetic component or an enzyme or a how do we navigate this world where people are ending up on eating like eight foods just to feel okay um, but really we should be going for diversity but so many people hear that and they go I know and I want to I just literally my stomach will um, rip me apart if I if I hoe into the broccoli or, you know, whatever the food is for them.
1: Right. Yeah. So um, so I think that, you know, one thing is that I work with a nutritionist in my office and um, that is uh, invaluable because uh, having that kind of in-depth guidance on your, on your diet is um, is really helpful. So I would encourage people to uh, to look into that. And then in terms of just where to start. Um, So I think with the polyphenol rich foods, uh, there are other examples as well. Like for example, um, clove powder is a really excellent source of uh, prebiotics and you only need a pinch for it to be effective because it's such a concentrated source. Um, Cacao powder also has um, polyphenols that are um, prebiotic. And so that is um, another option. And many of these other polyphenol-rich foods, like green tea or um, certain berries, you know, they can be tolerated in small quantities. And that's really the key, starting low, going with the polyphenol-rich foods, and then working on some of the other categories of
0: foods. Mm -hmm. And do you um, look then, is it the nutritionist that then looks at deficiencies or sensitivities being caused by external factors um, that you can identify and treat so that you can start to broaden your foods.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yes. That's kind of our approach anyway, because, uh, um, you know, you're um, you typically you get limited time with your doctor, so you mm-hmm. can't go in all of the, the detail. But um, when uh, you have a nutritionist that can really sit down with you in more depth, that's a good combination we found.
0: Yeah, nice. And in terms of when you are on an elimination diet or when you do have an extended period of investigation where you're trying to figure out how to bring more foods in, um, are you a fan of supplementation? What does that look like? Is it like for you, do you see it as an insurance policy during that narrow phase so that everyone's getting what they need?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. So um, I, I tell people the um, food options and the supplement options. So for example, during the phase one diet, when you're really trying to heal the gut, glutamine is an amino acid that is, um, you know, very powerful. And uh, there are foods that are very rich in glutamine, like cabbage juice is actually very high in glutamine, uh, but not everybody wants to, to do that. So if you rather take a supplement, there's glutamine powder, which is a uh, well studied as an amino acid that heals the gut, reduces inflammation, um, heals the permeability of the GI tract. So, um, yeah, I like to give people the choice uh, of either a food or the supplement.
0: Mm, Fantastic. Uh, And um, back to talking about uh, the protocol in your book. It's 14 days, if I remember. I read read your book last week very quickly as I was researching everything. and, and in that 14 days, what do people typically experience?
1: Um, yes, so the, the first part, which is more of the um, elimination diet, uh, typically um, people do notice that um, there is some reduction in inflammation, um Whatever way that's manifesting for them but um, you know because you're taking out some of the potentially inflammatory things, some of the potential food sensitivities, um, and um, yeah so that is commonly what is uh, seen and then the um the the important thing is not to stop there you know and not to just stay permanently on this uh, very restrictive diet but really, Uh, systematically reintroduce and then try to expand in whatever way is tolerable and not causing a lot of like GI distress or anything like that.
0: Yeah absolutely and I, I can't stress enough because of how important it is if there is mold in your home while you're trying to do these things and I quote nothing is working um that really needs addressing from the nervous system impact of mold because that shuts down peristalsis but also um from the the fungi in the gut perspective i mean that can wreak havoc right
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, mold is um, something I talk about in the book as really a big factor in terms of immune disruption. And uh, there's more and more research now about how mold can contribute to autoimmune reactions, uh, both in the brain and the nervous system and in the body. Uh, We used to think mold was just a respiratory issue, but now we know it definitely impacts the immune system and can be one of the factors for autoimmunity in some patients.
0: Absolutely. The last um, moldy uh, apartment we were in uh, was one of those freshly renovated and painted situations where it was just a cover-up job. And um, and I started to feel this really dry mouth and then the, the buzzy head and the, all the neurological like spasms and things came back. And it, it's quite triggering when you've been in a really dark place in the past to have all of that come on again, because you never want to feel that bad again um and and i remember getting a blood test and it was the first time i had any kind of positive anything in ana um uh and it was living in that and it was just 3 months that's all it took of being there um but yes you can reverse it that is the good news uh and do you see people reversing uh, autoimmune diagnoses entirely in in doing this work? Oh, um,
1: well, I'm careful not to overpromise results. Of course, to people of course. Because um, mm-hmm. I always distinguish between cure versus remission. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so remission is, um, for most people, what's accessible, which is where your disease becomes quiet, your symptoms resolve, your, you feel normal, uh, qual- you know, quality of life is really good. And that feels like a cure, but uh, it, it doesn't mean that the disease has gone away, you know? Mm. And uh, I think with a true cure, um, if it is very early in the process that I have seen some cases where that's possible, um, I think that the earlier you start, the easier it is to reverse things. Um, and then, but wherever stage you are, um, remission is always achievable. And that's where the integrative approach can really help with addressing symptoms and helping you feel, you know, feel your best.
0: Incredible. Uh, And did it take you a long time to arrive at a protocol that you put patients through with autoimmune disease? Like, how, how do you how do you build that? I mean, you mentioned Ayurveda, for example, how much influence of that was in in what you chose to do?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It just kind of um, developed organically, you know, in the past 20 years when I've been working with uh, thousands of patients, uh, just seeing what works, what helps people or or doesn't. And um, yeah, Ayurveda was a real passion of mine after it helped me to turn my health around. And so I traveled to India to get trained in that, um, and then incorporate that along with um, integrative medicine. And then I think it's been just a very slow process of fine tuning the protocol over, you know, many years.
0: Yeah. And and so many wonderful doctors are, are, are doing this work. And it is constantly boiling down to these really important basics to uh, focus on, uh, which, you know, when you think about the concept of making things simple and basic again, that's the metaphor for returning to a more natural cycle and rhythm in life and a, a more connected uh, life to nature that we actually are anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yep.
0: hmm and, and what do you hope will change? What do you hope for? Uh, because it must be incredibly frustrating to often see the patients that I'd imagine would sometimes end up with you as their final port of call after having tried every conventional possible avenue. Um, that we kind of grow up just culturally um, thinking is what we have to do without knowing there's this whole other thing we can do.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. Well, um, my dream is to kind of create this grassroots movement uh, to raise awareness about autoimmune disease and for people to understand just what an epidemic it is and uh, and uh, for that eventually to drive some change, hopefully, in some of these uh, these factors. Um, so that's my goal with the book is raise awareness about autoimmune disease and then hopefully empower people with the uh, knowledge about things they can do, tools they'll have now, practical changes they can make to, um, to really improve their overall immune balance.
0: Well, between your Stanford colleagues, Harvard colleagues, University of California, I mean, you've studied in some fine and, and worked in some fine areas. Hopefully those connections will help you get the the word out as well because I think the more doctors know to do these things with their patients, the better.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, um, and the the good thing is there's more and more uh, research in integrative medicine and uh, holistic medicine. So um, for the the book, I actually read like a you know few thousand studies uh, that are in this kind of integrative medicine space. So uh, I think to your point uh, earlier, where you said you know even some of the practicing doctors are not aware of the research, which has been my experience as well, because, uh, you know, we're in medicine, we're very busy in our daily life. We don't don't have time to read all the literature and, uh, you know, keep up with it. And also there's a huge number of studies being published every single day. So it's really hard to keep up with the the literature.
0: Absolutely. I think Doctors like teachers, you know, it's like we're just trying to get these individuals as busy as possible, seeing as many people as possible uh, and really just ticking boxes uh, because that's all there is time to do rather than expanding, which is, for me, part of health as a human is that expansion and that constant learning and, and being of service. And I think coming back to that through uh through education such as the style you're providing to colleagues and the world through this book I think is definitely one of the ways we're going to get there so I really appreciate you coming on and and sharing what you're doing Uh, I think it's a wonderful book it helps make things uh very complex overwhelming things simple for people and and I wish you well with it oh yes well
1: um thank you so much for having me in the show and I really enjoyed our conversation today
0: Thanks again. Thank you, Alex. And that is today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. A reminder we have so many fantastic shows in our archives these days. If this particular topic was helpful to you, head over to lotoxlife.com forward slash podcast and click on the podcast directory, which gives you food, body, home, mind, and environmental health topics segmented. So you can see all the shows that we've done in all of those areas and head straight to what you want. A reminder, we also have 10 fabulous e-courses that I've written with various doctors, naturopaths, health professionals, and experts over the years to support you on your low-tox journey, whether it's making daily swaps, getting ready to make babies, looking after your inflammation. You can hit the courses tab on lotoxlife.com to explore those. And lastly, I would love to meet you on socials, go and head over to at lotoxlife on Instagram or find us on Facebook. It's always such a pleasure to chat and see how you guys are going when you share favorite shows and share them with your friends. I absolutely love that. A little reminder, of course, that all of our shows are not intended as medical advice. They are intended to open the minds and hearts of people and maybe help you explore something you hadn't considered yet, but please always check in with your health professional. And one last little request, if you have time to leave us a review, wherever you listen to this podcast, that would just mean the world to me because it helps us get out there and have other people have confidence that that thing they're considering pressing play on is absolutely worth it. I'll catch you for the next show you tune into. Thanks for joining me again. This is Alex Stewart, founder of Lotox Life.